kilobytes. Time. Space. The, the final, final frontier. frontier. Whoa. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Welcome to episode 435 of the Design Details Podcast. I am your co-host, Brian Levin. And I am your other co-host, Marshall Buck. How are you doing, co-host Brian? Doing great, co-host Marshall. We got a good <laughs> ep, shall we? We shall. Marshall. This week we are supported by Vagaro. If you need a new job, Vagaro is hiring designers to build booking, payments, and marketing solutions for companies in the beauty, wellness, and fitness industries around the world. You can learn more at designdetails.fm slash Vagaro. Once again, that's designdetails.fm slash Vagaro, V-A-G-A-R-O. Link in the show notes. Thank you, Vagaro. Thanks, Vagaro. We also have some new very important pixels. Hey. Welcome to the fam. Come on in. The water's warm. Warm water. Huge shout outs to Predragus, Josh Allen, Lucas Opperman, Chiu Lin, Tan Yixuan, Zoe Smith, Veronica Lynn, Blue Dog, Christian Jordan, and Nej Tak. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. No uh, no splicing in this this edit, right, Marshall? That was all just one clean breeze through. <laughs> mm-hmm, Easy mm-hmm. peasy. Perfect. Take one. I am the name pronouncer. <laughs> well, welcome, everybody, to the show. Be sure to catch your first sidebar. If you didn't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that every week, listeners from around the world, including those lovely folks that you just heard, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash design details, where they get access to bonus episodes every single week. We call that bonus episode the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The sidebar is an extra episode every single week. This week, we're talking all about working in public and making sure your ideas, your precious ideas, don't get stolen. If you want to just talk about that, as well as get access to our backlog of sidebars and double apps every week going forward, head to patreon.com slash design details. It's just a buck a month. It's just a buck a month. Just a buck a month. All right, Marshall, main topic time. Yeah. You ready? Main topic time. Yeah, this one comes to us from Chris Patel over on the old GitHubs there. Also, first issue ever. Marshall, this is happening Almost every week. It's, it's it's almost like designers don't have a reason to use GitHub unless they're asking us questions. It's almost like, it's Marshall. It's almost like we should have a different place for people to ask questions that's more <laughs> suitable for designers who listen to the show. Mm-hmm. Well, you can always write in on, on Twitter, and we'll, we'll answer those too. But uh, that's true. This is easier to log and easier to track. Yeah, they're Google searchable. Anyways, anyways, okay. Chris asks. When there's a new feature in the app, how do you guys make sure that you've considered all the scenarios and designed all the screens which will be affected by the change? I know this is such a beginner mistake, and with experience, I'll become better at this, but all the designers, and by all I mean three, at my workplace keep making this mistake. I'm wondering if there's any process to follow which can solve this problem so we don't have to revisit and redesign certain things again and again. Keep in mind that we are a startup, so many of the people are still in early phase of their career, from designers to project managers, and there is not any standard process we follow. Okay, good question, Chris. What do you think, Brian? Can we put together a list for Chris here? And uh... <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: is like it is very hard to remember to design for every single scenario, and so there 
are just shortcuts and workarounds that I think you can consider that will make this process hopefully a little bit less stressful and error prone. And then we can also just list out, I don't know, maybe like a pragmatic starter kit of here are things to gut check just in case you're not sure. So mm-hmm. a gut check checklist, if you will. A gut check checklist. Damn, that's a good blog post title, maybe a book title. Yeah, the gut check go. checklist. Yeah, take it. And you're stealing my ideas. I shouldn't have said it in public, Brian. TM, TM, TM. <laughs> All right. So a couple less specific things right off the bat. First is be sure you're talking with engineers. Talk to eng. Yeah. This is one of those things where, you know, if you have a waterfall process where things are expected to be designed to completion before they begin development, that's where you create a lot of problems because it is quite often the case that talking to engineers before they start working on a thing, they will be like, oh, but how's that going to work with this other thing? How is that piece going to work with this other, I don't know, infrastructural element of our application? I would go so far as to say not even often, like I've never had a situation where that didn't happen. A hundred percent of the time, your yeah. design will be better by just talking to engineers while you're designing it. Mm-hmm. So maybe we just start there. Open up your design process a little bit. Solicit engineering feedback early and often. When in doubt, ask Eng if you're covered. I'm sure they will come up with stuff that you haven't thought of. The the next thing is what you've just described. Making mistakes over and over again. You ship something, you realize you forgot some certain cases, so you go back and fix them. Then the next feature comes along, you ship it, you forgot a couple things, you go back and fix them. This isn't just a thing that everybody does over and over again. This is a reason that, one of many reasons that things like design systems exist. Design systems are designed to take a lot of this overhead off of an individual's plate so that when you're thinking about solving for a customer problem, you don't have to have this massive checklist or contextual overhead right, to make sure the thing is perfect in all states. Ideally, the header just works for all states. Tab bar just works for all states. Um, And there's a a way to encapsulate lots of individual specific decisions to components or to screens or to little compositions of components. Anyways, there's ways to just get those root primitives to be really, really good so that you never have to worry about a specific color or type size or whatever it might be that stuff can get encapsulated at the systems level. Mm-hmm. Okay, so one other thing that we do at GitHub, I don't know if y'all do this at, at YouTube, Marshall, is we do retrospectives or just retros. Yeah, like a post-mortem. Exactly. And so we'll do this both at like a feature level, like every time we ship a feature, we get that crew together and talk about what worked well, what didn't work well, what we might change for the next time. But we also do it for our overall team. So we talk about processes, product, people's happiness, organizational changes, that kind of stuff. So there's lots of retros happening to just try and diagnose things that are working well, things that aren't working well. And for the things that aren't working well, the goal is to come away from that retro with some action items. So, you know, in this scenario, Chris, I could imagine having a retro like, why do we keep shipping things that have this type of mistake? Or why do we keep shipping things that we need to go back and polish after the fact? Uh, Whatever it might be, having the group come together after the ship where maybe the stress has gone a little bit, you've at least got that first version out the door, maybe people have a little bit more altitude to objectively evaluate the situation, maybe that's a good opportunity to write down those mistakes and come up with some action items to create processes or implement new changes into your system. 
so that those mistakes don't happen again in the future. Yeah. Do you do uh, retros? Uh, yeah, it's it's more of an inch-led thing, but UX is part of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it differs by team, but yeah, not necessarily UX-specific. Yeah, ours are ours are like feature feature chips, right? Like yeah. So the, the whole team that worked and, on it and yep. design. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yep, that's that's a normal thing. Hopefully, it's smooth sailing and you don't have to talk about anything. But yeah, when something does come up that slows down the process or continues to occur, exactly. Okay, so talk to Eng Design Systems Retros. Now, Marshall, we just have a big list. Like, let's call this the gut check checklist of things to consider in your designs before they ship. Love it. Yeah, let's do it. All right, I'll kick us off. First thing is null states. I feel like this is maybe something that is designed last. Um, it's like you're designing a, a list and you think really deeply about the list items. Well, how should it work when there's no list items? Do you have a placeholder? Do you have a button to compose something new? Whatever it might be, just think about null states, yeah. no data. Empty states, yeah. Is there a call to action there? Is there a pleasing illustration that makes the empty state not so empty? After null states, you have the case where maybe there's some data on the screen. I, I always kind of think about lists. I feel like most apps tend to be lists or at least lists of lists. So what's the case where, I don't know, imagine a user has three notes or five notes or 10 notes, right? Like that's some data. It's not a whole lot. But then you got to go also one step further and think about lots of data. So what's how, how will this thing work if someone has a million notes? <laughs> Because that forces you to think about things like, you know, network speed. It forces you to think about pagination, forces you to think about representing some breakpoint in a, a list of data. Is there a way to get back to a specific page? Like this is the debate around infinite scrolling versus sort of numbered pagination like Google search results, right? Is there a way to get to a specific point in a large set of data? That would be a design consideration. So null states, some data, and lots of data would be three high priority things to design around. Totally agree. Uh, similarly, we have another trio. So long strings, so strings that either wrap or truncate, like how are those longer strings going to terminate, as well as super short strings. Like what does it look like with a single letter? Does that, does that break things? Not to mention emoji strings. Are there emojis in there? Emojis tend to have a taller line height and mess things up or look really cramped. So what does it look like if somebody puts an emoji character in that string? Yeah, user-generated content is such a pain in the ass, right? You got to think about all this stuff. <laughs> Tell like, me about it, man. People will break it. 100% of the time, people will push anything you make to the limits. So you got to think about character counts. You got to think about using crazy letters. You got to think about people typing in invisible characters. Think about um, people typing return characters. Because if even tweets, right, like 280 character limit, what if someone types 280 line break characters? What's going to happen? So user-generated content, I feel like <laughs> there's just not there's not a checklist for that. Or if it is, that's a sub-checklist. It's like a million things long because, yeah, that will always be breaking. Typography is just a, a nightmare unto its own. But yeah, those are a few easy ones to do a quick gut check for. Long string, short string emojis. All right, so the next one is what does the design do for new users? And I think there's kind of two levels of that. There's a new user to your product and a new user to a specific feature. So imagine, I mean, I just have GitHub pulled open, but you could imagine certain flows being presented to a user in a different way, depending on if they just signed up for GitHub versus if they're using that specific feature for the first time. 
there might be some important contextual notes to add or different kinds of onboarding based on that user's relationship with your product, right? Have they been user for 10 years and this is just a new feature you're launching or are they brand new to everything starting from scratch? All right. Uh, there's also network status. So are they connected to some sort of Wi-Fi or cell signal? If not, how are you going to let them know? What are you going to do to change the UI if you can't serve things? What about during the loading state? If they are online, like what does your loading state look like? Is it ghost cards? Is it spinners? What are you doing there? And then there's error states in general. So like everything from an individual text field to an overall page, anything that could error what are those strings? How does it appear? How does it adjust the page around it? Does it provide resolution steps? Does it stick around for a while? Do you have to dismiss it or does it auto dismiss? Yeah, all sorts of error states. The only thing I'd add for the network status one, like online and offline, is also considering just the transition between the two, right? Like I feel like it's it's easy enough to design an offline state. There's a some sort of bar that says you are offline and then online, it's probably just working like normal. But you could imagine lots of scenarios where people are creating things or in the middle of saving something and they lose network connection, right? Like their car goes into a tunnel or, I don't know, their their Wi-Fi cuts out at the last second. And you might want to design around situations where people are scared that they've lost content. So do you show copy that's like, we're still working on it, continuing to try it. We've saved your draft offline just in case. Like, what are how do you design around scary experiences like that. Mm -hmm. And I think your tunnel example is really good too of like, how does it handle going offline for a short amount of time and then going back online? I think a lot of people live in spotty coverage areas. So that's kind of a normal occurrence. How do you handle it? Love it. Uh, I wrote down screen sizes and orientation. Maybe this isn't (laughs) the more obvious one, but if you're designing for, you know, the phone, how will this work on a small phone, the minis, or a big phone, or I guess even in today's landscape like a flip phone or a double screened phone like the duo mm-hmm. foldables foldables right beyond just screen size also is orientation so people are using their phones in portrait mode then they flip to landscape what changes do you need to consider any new layout patterns mm-hmm. or different placement of action buttons safe areas like yeah right right All right, on to one of my favorite topics, accessibility settings. Brian, uh, how are you handling dynamic text? Any contrast modes that could be enabled? What about voiceover and screen readers? Dynamic text is like the hardest one of all these, I think, probably. I know. Dynamic text is very challenging because (laughs) it feels like it breaks everything. It just adds a lot of line wrapping and sometimes can you got to be careful of truncating button labels and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, good one. All right, I wrote entry points. So I think it's worth considering how users are entering into your product. Are they coming from a push notification? Are they coming from an email? Are they coming from a deep link? There's also things to consider around like what are, what's the context in which somebody is entering your app? So A good example of this would be people who copy a link to something and then they open your app to go to that thing. This happens quite a bit with GitHub. Someone will copy a link to something, switch to the app, and it's unclear what you should do. And so we designed a little prompt that says, hey, we looked in your clipboard and noticed you have a link to a GitHub URL. Do you want to go there now? And users can just tap that to navigate directly to that URL. So maybe that's also something to design around, although... Maybe it doesn't change too much, but certainly things like this user came from a push notification. You might want to do something slightly different than if they came from a, a deep link or an email. 
Well, that made me think of a, a different scenario of you come from a deep link, but you already were in the app. How do you handle the back stack of where you just were? Does it push onto the front? Do you start over? When I leave this flow that I've come into from outside the app, where do I land? Oh my gosh, we just had a we, we had a bug with this that we just fixed in the apps, which was people could be mid composition, so you're creating a new issue, and then you switch apps. You tap on a deep link to GitHub. It takes you back to GitHub, pushes you to the new route, but it was dropping the draft content. So we fixed that. But it's like, oh my god, how do you even know that that's going to be a problem until it happens? And then somebody reported it, and we fixed it. But yeah, and then and now all of that logic, just to go back to our initial point, all that logic around draft preservation, we've baked even deeper into the system. So we had a draft preservation system, and now it accounts for deep links, right? So that's how the, hopefully that system gets more robust over time. Good one. So another one is how your app looks if the user encounters it while they're signed in or if they're signed out or if they're in some sort of like middle ground authentication state. So for example, if they've created an account but they haven't verified their email yet, what should the app look like? How should it respond? Are they allowed to do things or do you force them to verify their email first? Things like that I would consider and here you get into a little bit of some privacy gray area because you also have to consider what you show people that doesn't let people guess URLs in certain cases. So imagine you have URLs that you don't want people to guess. They should be totally private. Well, if someone encounters that while they're signed out, you can't say things like sign in to view this document because that implies the existence of a document. You just have to say, you know, either you 404 and say this does not exist, sign in, or you just have a very neutral sign in screen that doesn't imply anything about the existence of content at that route. And that also rolls into like permission status, which would be, you know, you could imagine a scenario where somebody has invited you to look at something and you need to accept or reject that invitation. So you're signed in, but you just don't have permission to view the thing yet or uh, you're signed in, or you explicitly don't have permission to view something. So a good example would be, how does it look like on Twitter when somebody has blocked you? You know, Their profile looks very different than someone who has not blocked you. So yeah, permission status. You're signed in, but are you allowed to view the thing that you're trying to view? Cool. Here's another one, themes. So if you have more than one theme, making sure that the feature that you're shipping looks good in both themes. Hopefully you're using design tokens or some sort of system that ensures that a color picked in light theme will have a corresponding color that will work similarly for that purpose in dark theme and that you're not having contrast issues or anything like that due to a different theme. Perfect. I would layer in performance. This one maybe fits closer to like an eng checklist, but I think it's useful for designers to get check this as well from a user experience point of view. But, you know, as you're developing the thing, you're about to ship it, does it feel fast? Is it snappy? Is it too slow? Is it taking a long time to load? Are you dropping frames when you scroll? Yeah. So how is the performance of this thing? And you can take nits and picks back to eng. And then maybe a slight tangent on that is, are you tracking the things that you want to be tracking? Have you instrumented the right metrics or analytics or whatever it is that you want to discern from some new change? Just making sure that that's implemented in the correct way. Maybe put that on your checklist. Your gut check checklist. All right, just a few more things, Brian. This is more product-specific stuff, right? Okay, so product-specific things would be like things that we will never be able to guess in this podcast, but probably are just specific to the thing that you're designing. So 
product specific settings, right? Like what does your app allow users to configure in their settings that should be considered on whatever view it is you're designing? So Mm -hmm. could they turn something off somewhere else that would make something not appear on this page or appear in a different spot? Exactly. hundred percent. Another thing would be product specific plans. I think of like pricing plans. Is the user on the free version? Are they on the pro version? Are they on a team plan? Are they like whatever your pricing structure or plan structure is? Sometimes things just work differently for different people on those plans. It's kind of like the uh, permissions thing, but close to permissions, yeah. But this is like less content permissions from like other users, more content permissions, I guess, from from the application. And then maybe the last thing is product specific content states. This one also is very close to like authentication and permission status, but you could think more specifically about your use case for things like moderation or, you know, are things in a pending state? So you could imagine a scenario where you're looking at a repository where you have created a new branch and that branch does not yet have a pull request. GitHub surfaces this prompt, this banner at the top of the repo profile that says, hey, you have this branch. Do you want to click this button and open a pull request for it? So that'd be like a pending state of a branch surfaced on the pull request page. And then moderation stuff would be, you know, like your role in a specific organization or your role within a specific repo. Are you a maintainer? Are you a first time contributor? That sort of thing might change the way that certain features appear. What a list, Brian. Wow. Oh, maybe this should be a blog post, Marshall. This is a lot of stuff. I mean, we just did all the work. You just got to write it down, you know? Yeah, but I bet someone's written all this down before, but maybe our list is better. <laughs> or different, at least. <laughs> different and better. All right. Well, hopefully this was helpful, Chris. Yeah. If we missed anything, uh, give us a shout on Twitter, at Design Details FM. Hey. All right. Cool things, Brian? Cool things. I think you're first this week. All right. I will go first. Um. This week I got a little a little fun game that I've been playing. If you are a subscriber to the New York Times crossword puzzle, which I am, I think it's not too expensive. It's like an annual thing. Anyways, they seem to have gravitated towards these daily games, right? They just purchased Wordle. It's like one a day. There's another one called Spelling Bee in the app that is it's very simple. The tagline is, how many words can you make with seven letters? So you get seven letters in a hexagonal pattern with one in the center. The letter that's in the center you have to use in any word that you create. It has to be four letters or more, and it has to be in the dictionary. But you earn points by finding unique words using those letters. I find it really fun. I'm a word person, so, you know. (laughs) And the other thing is there's uh, rankings. So you can see on any given set of letters, the score range will be different because there'll be a different number of words that you could find for those letters. So I always check, and the highest rank is genius. So I always aim for genius. But um, Have you ever gotten genius, Marshall? I get it every time, Brian. What are you talking about? Bullshit. No, I'm serious. Really? It's not super hard. Like, I mean, if you have a decent vocabulary, you can find all the words. Wow. You can actually go above genius. Wow. That sounds hard. Okay, cool. Is there a social element to this? Like, can you have friends then see their ratings? Um, no. The only thing you can see is the following day, you can see the previous day's words. So you can check to see which ones like we're missing. But no, there's no mm. social aspect. It's more of a, you know, it's competition with yourself, Brian, <laughs> and the, the ranking chart. I feel like I'm missing something. I don't know. Maybe I'm clearly not the target user for these because I don't do them often. Like I tried Wordle for a little while. I've tried the crossword for a little while. Like I could imagine doing this for a couple of days. 
But for me, I, it seems like there would be something very satisfying about having a little feed of your friends and seeing, you know, their score, not necessarily their answers, because you don't want to, you know, spoil anything or have have a cheating angle to this. But just knowing how you did feels like it would motivate me to think longer and harder so I can beat you and get notified when I beat you or like, I don't know, there's all these things that don't have a social angle. I'm like, would Wordle have been worth 10 times more if people could just see each other's scores instead of having to like copy and paste the emoji over to Twitter? Maybe they just didn't have time to build that. Maybe they're going to, but I feel like this is also just a common New York Times thing. Yeah. All their stuff is pretty single player. Like I don't, yeah, it's totally a single player. Like I don't know if you finished the crossword, let alone how long it took you or how many words you got wrong or if you had to use a hint to finish it or yeah yeah exactly anyways spelling bee super fun another daily activity cool thing what you got um okay uh my cool thing is one and a half cool things so i'll do the the one cool thing first so marshall we watched midsummer together last night as promised in last week's cool things last week we watched hereditary this week we watched midsummer and dude super fun Super fun movie. Mm-hmm. It's like everyone was like, oh, Midsommar, it's so fucked up. It's gross. Like, I can't believe this is a movie. And it was awesome. It was just like a some friends hanging out in, in the woods. Just a romantic romp. <laughs> no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Just, you know, friends having a good time, getting treated to a nice meal, sightseeing. Hospitality at its finest. Yeah. So Midsommar, cool thing. If you haven't seen it, don't look up anything. Uh, just believe what I tell you and just go watch it. It's yeah. about a midsummer festival. It's just so fun. Lighthearted, good for if you're down in the dumps and just need an uplifting movie. Midsummer. Exposure to new cultures. Yeah, it's really cool. <laughs> You'll come away with a deep appreciation for Swedish culture. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and uh, my half thing is Severance, Marshall. I feel like I slept on this, but you've heard of it, right? You've heard of Severance. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've had it recommended to me a couple times. Have you now. started it yet? Not this has yet. been like the I, fourth time I've talked to you about it. Yeah, I previewed it for Virginia. She was a no-go on it, so it will be a solo watch for me. Okay. Watch the first episode tonight. See if you're in. I'm behind, obviously. The first season's over, but I everyone was freaking out about this first season finale, and I'd never even heard of the show. I'm like, what even is this thing that everybody's already watched a whole season of? So now uh, Effie and I are, are catching up on it. We're three episodes in, I think, and I'm in. I like it. I think it's really fun, clever, and good mystery to be solved. So Severance on Apple TV Plus, I believe. You, you know what the, the best thing I can say about it, Brian, is? I stopped the trailer like halfway through. Oh, there you go. That's how you know. Uh-huh. Cool thing. All right. Well, cool things. This has been episode 435 of the Design Details podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. Let us know if you did or what you thought or, you know, in our gut check checklist, what did we miss? Tweet at us at Design Details FM. Always, if you have your own question or topic that you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, you can always tweet at us, DM us if you want to be anonymous or open an issue in our GitHub repository. Links in the show notes. And of course, if you did enjoy this and just can't get enough design details and want to hear us keep talking, head to patreon.com slash design details for the sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. This week's sidebar. We're talking about the idea of working in public and being a little bit protective of your side project ideas. So if you want to hear that in future episodes, bonus content going forward, patreon.com slash design details starting at just a buck a month at just a buck a month that is all for now we'll see you next week bye
I like that you just described yourself as a word person, which is true. Just feels like a good Twitter bio. Designer, comma, word person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know whose Twitter bio I like is Ollier. He's a designer over in London. This is his Twitter bio. Astronaut, accountant, doctor, lawyer, investment banker, and CEO. I'm none of these things. I like creating stuff on the internet, though. <laughs> I like that. Uh, that's good. That's good. Nice little riff on the meme, you know? You got to read far enough to find out, though. 